0: Well, I know you're all here for chili, but could you endure a 25, 30-minute message? You have to, okay? It's not a question. Uh, The chili is back there. It's simmering. Some have been up all night stirring their chili, so it's perfect, and you will get a chance to vote on your favorite chili uh, in just a few minutes, but bear with me. And thankfully, you get to vote this morning on chili, right? Right? And not on something else, like political. Uh, I wish that I could say that in our brilliance, we planned a chili challenge after a miserable election season, but it just happened that way. It it, it wasn't really our keen planning, but we need to enjoy some chili today, don't we? Because the last uh, 600 days, I heard yesterday that the actual campaign from primaries through general election Tuesday was 600 days. Isn't that way too long to debate and to throw mud and argue and and be divided? Ugh, it's over. Uh, Praise the Lord. It's over. Um, We come together this morning as believers, but we come together this morning as believers as our nation is still divided, still divided. Some in our uh, nation and some in our body here this morning are elated. They are uh, praising this morning. Others... Uh, maybe have a sense of relief. Others in our country may be disappointed or fearful uh, or perhaps even angry. And this morning, I want to briefly address, what do we do now? Uh, What now? The election is over. What is our responsibility? And, And not so much what is our responsibility as Americans, but what is our responsibility as Christians, as believers in this Democracy. How should we respond? How should we live in this culture? How should we live in this largely post-Christian culture that we find ourselves? So, the title of today's uh, message is "Now What? Now What? What do we do?" And so, I want to take you, I think, to a really potent place in Scripture to frame our thoughts post-election. Okay, so turn with me, if you will, to First Peter chapter two. Okay. 1 Peter chapter 2, we're going to begin uh, in verse 9 and work down through the passage here quickly this morning. But I think this is, this is really potent. And I think it's potent this morning, whatever side of the aisle you are on, whether you are comforted and joyous by the election results or whether you are disappointed or fearful in light of the, re- of the election results. I think this passage has something to say for everyone, for everyone this morning. I think uh, for those who are comforted, it will afflict you a little bit, and for those of you that feel afflicted, it will comfort you a little bit. Uh, but before we before we dive into the passage, let me uh, start with a little trivia, okay? A little uh, American history political trivia, in fact. Raise your hand, okay? Don't blurt it out loud, but raise your hand if you know who James Stockdale is or was. He is now deceased. A few Anybody else? I see two hands. Jim Hessen. Uh, Ellen, did I see a hand back there? Anyone else? James Stockdale, only three hands. James, it might, it probably won't help you, but Admiral James Stockdale, does that ring any bells? think Doug Bartek, do you know this one? Think back to 1992, okay? Does anyone, does the name Ross Perot ring a bell to anyone in Dallas? Okay, in 1992, Ross Perot ran for president of the United States as a third-party candidate, and he picked as his vice presidential running mate a guy named James Stockdale, who was about as unknown then as he is to you today. I mean, about 3% of America knew who James Stockdale was. That's, that's him in the 1992 vice presidential debate. No one knew this guy. Uh, He was a war hero. He he had achieved a Medal of Honor in the Vietnam War. He had actually been a prisoner of war in Vietnam, was a prisoner of war for seven years. So a highly decorated uh, military guy, but not political, a political outsider. And uh, in what became a Saturday Night Live parody at the first vice presidential debate, James Stockdale, in his opening uh, words, said this. This is the way he started his opening remarks. He said, who am I? Why am I here? And the place just erupted in laughter. Who am I? Why am I here? And that was, that, that was the two questions that everyone was asking. Who is this guy and why is he up here in between Al Gore and Dan Quayle? Everybody, anybody remember those names? They've, they've kind of, yeah, he invented the internet and, uh, and Dan Quayle. Um, what do you say about Dan Quayle? I don't know. Uh, I'm not going to touch that. Uh, So James Stockdale stands up there in his opening address, and he asks these two questions. Who am I, and why am I here? And I want to offer to you this morning that those are two questions, not just for a political outsider or a vice presidential candidate, but those are two questions that every person in this room, every young person in this room, if you haven't asked them yet, you will ask them, or you should ask them who am I and why am I here? I want to submit to you this morning that the passage that we're going to look at answers this question for us as believers. If you know Jesus, as we look into the scriptures this morning, we are going to see who we are and why we are here. What's our identity and what's our calling? Okay, so join me in First Peter chapter 2, and we're going to begin in verse 9 and just walk through these verses, and I'll try to be quick. I hear your stomachs rumbling, uh, or maybe that's just my stomach rumbling. Um, it is. I am hungry. Uh, but look at me, not look at me, look at the Bible. Uh, have, this won't be on the screen, but look at the Bible, uh, if, even if you have it on your phone, that will work. Uh, verse 9. 1 Peter 2.9, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Right there in verse 9, we see part of our identity, who we are. Now, who is Peter talking to as he writes this in the first century? Well, if you flip back to chapter 1 of 1st Peter, you'll see in verse 1 of the whole letter, he says that he's that he's addressing Peter an apostle of Jesus Christ to those who are elect exiles. Now, if you haven't been here weeks past, we've been talking about being in exile for the last few weeks. We've been looking at the life of Daniel who is exiled into this wicked place called Babylon to work for a pagan ruler a pagan king named Nebuchadnezzar. He was an exile. He was God's person among God's people, but they were in exile. And guess what? 500, 600 years later, as Peter writes this, Peter also is talking about God's people being exiles. You see a common thread here? God's people had been exiles in Egypt before Daniel's time too, if you remember that. Exiles. So Peter writes to these believers, and not only are they exiles, but they're not exiles in Babylon or they're not exiles in Rome. They're actually exiles scattered all about. So if you look at verse 1 of 1 Peter, it says, Who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. And I just want a hand clap for being able to pronounce those this morning, okay? Thank you. Just kidding. Uh, but these are believers who are scattered all around the Mediterranean world. That's who he's writing to, believing people exiled around the world, not just in one locale, not just in Jerusalem, or not just in Rome. They've been dispersed. And so flip back to chapter 2, and how does he describe them in verse 9? How does Peter describe these Folks that believe in Jesus but are being persecuted. He starts out in verse 9, but you are a chosen white person. Is that how your translation reads? That's how, oh, it's not. No, I'm sorry. Uh, You are a chosen black person. No. He says, you are a chosen race, though. Exiles, believers, you are a chosen race. And not only are you a chosen race, but you're a royal priesthood, royalty, priesthood. And look at the third description. You are a holy nation. He doesn't say, hey, you guys are Romans. You guys are Jews. You guys are are members of uh, the, the region of Galatia. He doesn't say that. He says, instead, you're a chosen race. You're a royal priesthood. What were a priest known for? What What does a priest do? Uh, a priest in the Old Testament and just priests, kind of generally, they they tend to be mediators, right? Mediators between God and other people, or they might uh, offer sacrifices on behalf of the people, or they might pray on behalf of the people. They might read the word of God. They might declare a priest might read the word of God. He might comfort people. A priest might do this. And 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 Peter. God is telling us through Peter, who are you? Well, guess what, believer? You may be an American. You are an American, most of us probably. But our identity here, according to the word of God, is that not only are we an American, but we are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, and a holy nation. And not only that, Not only are we chosen, not only are we priests who are royal, have a a royalty of priesthood, but not only that, we're a holy nation. We are a nation within a nation, so to speak. The nation that he's talking about here is is not a, a, a geographical or a geopolitical nation. It's a nation of people exiled, scattered throughout the world, but who are a nation under God that have a, a king higher than the earthly king that they live under. Are you following me? You are a chosen race, special, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, and a people for his own possession. These words that Peter uses here, he is stealing. He is is just ripping right out of God's mouth in Exodus chapter 19, if you want to go back there later. But read Exodus 19, right as God gives the Ten Commandments to Israel, as he he has this covenant with them, he says, I'm giving you this covenant and you are going to be my kingdom of priests. You're going to be a nation set apart, a holy nation. That's what holy means. Holy means uh, not just pure, but holy means set apart. Distinct, separate from the world. So what is Peter telling us our our identity is here? We're a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, and fourthly, a people for his own possession. You belong to God. Yes, you you may belong to a country. You may be a citizen of where you live, but ultimately you are a possession of God and your allegiance, first of all, is to his nation. To, To him, the king. You are a special people set apart to be holy amongst the rest of the world, to represent me, to mediate for me. and a a people belonging to God, the possession of God himself. Now, how must that make us feel as we read those words? It ought to make you feel special. Man, I'm chosen by God. I'm a part of his kingdom. I'm a part of his nation. He has selected me out of the world for something distinct, for something unique. Who am I? That's who we are. If you believe in Jesus, that's your identity. And it's an extraordinary identity. Look, as he goes on after verse 9, he says, uh, or in verse 9, excuse me, he gives us these four descriptions. And then after the four descriptions, we see the purpose statement for what we've been called. You might say, why we're here. Or our purpose is the the next part of verse 9. It says, that, that's a purpose clause, you are all these things that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Why are you here? Why are we here? To proclaim the excellencies of God. To proclaim the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness and into the light. You are God's people. For God's purposes. And right here in verse 9, the purpose of God says to proclaim the excellencies of God. We're people belonging to him to proclaim the good news with our lips and with our lives. You're my people. Living where you are at the time that you're living to proclaim the excellencies of Jesus, to be proclaimers, to be ministers and missionaries of the good news, to speak with your lips of the excellencies of Jesus. He goes on in verse 10, he says, once, he talks about the contrast between before and after. Verse 10, once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. You are my people to proclaim with your lips the excellencies of your heavenly King. He goes on in verse 11, and he gives us two more descriptors of who we are. Who am I? Why am I here? He says, two more descriptors that are different than the first four we looked at. Look at verse 11. He says, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh. How does he describe us in verse 11? What's our identity here? Sojourners and exiles. Somebody else have a different translation of verse 11 there? If you have the NIV version or perhaps the NAS translation, it probably says, aliens and strangers, right? Now, look at the paradox of this. Think about this. He's just said in verse 9, you're a holy nation. You're a chosen race. You're a people that belong to God. That's a high privilege. That's an extraordinary identity. But notice how he couples this in verse 11 with these other descriptions that not many of us would want, would we? To be an alien and a stranger. But guess what? Today, this morning, post election, okay, in a new era and a new presidency, we are still aliens and strangers, even though we're the chosen people of God. What does that mean? It means ultimately, folks, this is not your home. We're sojourners, we're wandering around, waiting for our home eventually the kingdom that is to come, the perfect nation that will one day be here. We are God's chosen people, His special possession, but we are also not at home here. Citizens here, but not completely at home here, right? Uh, It was back, I guess, in the spring. We had taken a uh, family vacation for a few days. We'd gone away up to Branson, Missouri, which is where my my parents just insist is the greatest place to vacation because they're retired and uh, retired people love Branson. Um, but uh, so we went with my parents and uh, had a great little getaway, and we came back. And my six-year-old at the time, as we walked in the front door, said, "Oh, it's so good to be home." Now that's not something that our kids typically say, right? I mean, hey, we're going to Disneyland, Disney World, maybe even Branson and Silver Dollar City. That's where I want to be, right? But there's something about coming home that's like, ah, we're home, right? What Peter is telling us here is that we're aliens and strangers and we are not quite home. But one day we will be home and we, like my little guy, will walk into the kingdom and say, it's so good to be home. It's so good to be home. This is not our home. And whether you are disappointed with the outcome of an election or you are thrilled and relieved and excited about the, the election, either way, this isn't your home. This isn't the place to get comfortable with. Because we have a homecoming, okay? A homecoming. We have a home going, a homecoming. We have a home, a kingdom to come that is going to make this home and to make this experience feel like a few days at a Motel Six, because it's going to be so great. We're home. You are my chosen possession. You are a set apart people from the world. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You are a people belonging to God and and you're aliens and strangers in a land that ultimately isn't your home. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Verse 12, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Who am I? Why am I here? We've talked about who I am, those six descriptors. We talked about in verse 9 what our purpose was, to proclaim the excellencies of him who called us. To with our lips speak of God. Verse 11, or verse 12, excuse me, says a second purpose for why we're here. Not only to proclaim the good news, but to do good deeds, to do good works. He says, while you're living here among the Gentiles, you might underline among in verse 12, he says, you're living among the Gentiles. You you haven't uh, got upset about an election and decided you're just going to move to Canada and get away from everything. No, you're living among the Gentiles. You're living among pagan people, okay? And he says, I want you to keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, honorable, and I want you to do good deeds among the nations. Among the people, even among those who are your cultural enemies or something, I want you to be my people, aliens and strangers about good news, about speaking good news, and about living good lives. Being about the good news and being about good deeds. Who are we? Why are we here? We're God's people to share the good news and to do good deeds. One of the ways that we've tried to more intentionally be about good deeds as a church family, a centennial church, is through this thing that Brent talked about earlier called CC Cares. This is our new local outreach effort, basically, to do good in the community. A few weeks ago, we looked at a prayer, or a, it's not really a prayer, actually. It's an instruction from God through Jeremiah to the exiled people. And Jeremiah 29.7 says, pray for the city and seek its welfare. Pray for the city and seek its welfare. We have to live among the Gentiles. We have to live in a non-believing world. But he says here, be about good deeds. And pray for the city and seek the welfare of the city. And so for the last month, some of us have been bringing these comfort kits, uh, little uh, to-go bag tote bags of uh, hygiene items for those that are homeless or for times of tragedy that we can stockpile these and send them to places of disaster to have those things on hand to do good in the community. This coming Saturday, what we want to do as a church family is do good around our community to our first responders. So we're asking you during the Chili Challenge to come up here and sign up with Carol Anglin and take a little tin and go home and do some baked goods, okay? Some of us won't be able to do this. We'll have to get some help. Uh, But to take a tin home, fill it with some baked goods, and then return, return it on Saturday, as we're all going to gather here at 10 a.m. in the parking lot, and we're going to divide and not conquer, but we're going to divide and care. Care for our first responders. We're going to go to the police department. We're going to go to fire station, and we're going to say thank you. We, we want to honor you. We want to respect you. We thank you for your service to our community. We want to do good to others that are doing good. I encourage you to be a part of that. You know, doing that on Saturday as a church family is a great deal. It doesn't get you off the hook Monday through Friday and Sunday in your own neighborhood. We also ought to be do good in our own community, on our own street, at our, at our workplace, to be people of good news and good works, doing good deeds that people may see it. And it might give glory to God. Now, it gets real specific. This is the verse that some of you have been waiting for all morning, and this is verse 13 okay? Verse 13 says this, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and praise those who do good. Verse 15, for this is the will of God that by doing good, you should put silent, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Verse 16, live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a covering up for evil, but living as servants of God. Let me stop right there. What does verse 13 say in response to our authorities, in response to our election, in response to the people that God has placed over us to govern us? Verse 13 says very clearly, be subject to the Lord's sake to every human institution whether it be to the emperor or whether it be to governors. It's over. Now, come together, get behind, and submit to the governance that God has put over us, whether you like it or not. You can whine all you want, but ultimately you have to submit and say this is the authority that God has put over us. Right here, verse thirteen. So we live as under the authority of God, who has put other authorities over us. Be subject to the Lord's sake, for the Lord's sake. It says, "Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution." Notice in verse fifteen. Verse fifteen emphasizes what we just talked about in verse verse twelve again. It says, for this is the will of God, that by doing good, again, good works, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. That by not just speaking the gospel, but by doing good, people who are non- unbelievers, people who do not yet believe the gospel, look around and say, that, you know what? I may not agree with those people religiously, philosophically. I may not re- agree with those people politically, but they're doing good in the community. You've got to be people doing good in the community. We brushed over something in verse 12 pretty quickly, and I want to come back to it as it relates to verse 15. Notice in verse 12, it says, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. This is so, this impacted me so much this week as I was thinking about this. In verse 12, he says, keep your conduct honorable, right? Live uprightly. Live good lives. And as you do that, as you live honorable lives, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds. You see what that passage is saying? He's saying live honorably, do good. But do you see what the reaction of your good is going to be? It says that you're going to do good, and people are going to call your good evil. Look at it again. When they speak against you as evildoers, you do good, but, when they, but they're going to call your good evil. Can you believe that? When you stand up for babies, people are going to call that evil. When you stand up for what God's word says morally about sexuality or about marriage, that's good. But what is the watching world, what are the Gentiles going to say? That's evil get ready for it. That's what he says. Live such good lives. But don't expect that just because you live a good life and you stand up for the truth of the gospel and and God's standards that everyone, you know, along the sideline is just going to applaud you. Sometimes they're going to call the good evil. We're not home yet. We're not home yet. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a covering up for evil, but living as servants of God. Who am I? Why am I here? Living as servants of God. And then he summarizes it with a nice, quick punch in verse 17. Four commands. Verse 17, I didn't read it yet. Verse 17 says, Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, Fear God, honor the Emperor. Let's just read that again. Honor everyone, love the Brotherhood, fear God, honor the Emperor. Now, who does he tell us to honor or respect? Everyone. Everyone. Not the people just on your side of the debate, not just. The people of your skin color, not just the people of your sexual orientation, but honor everyone. And just so you know, and just to make it clear, Peter says, I want you to know that everyone also includes the emperor. Honor the emperor. Or shall we just say the president in our case? Some of your translations say, honor the king. And you could, you could, you could flip it like this. You could say, the honor that you would give a king, give everyone, even the people that disagree with you politically, give them the honor that you would give a king. You may say, well, I don't like the king. And some of us haven't liked the king for the last eight years. But what does the Bible say? Honor the king. Say, I don't want to honor the king. Honor the king as you would your friend, as you would your neighbor. Honor everyone, honor the king. Notice he doesn't say fear the king, and he doesn't say love the king. He says honor the king, right? Honor everyone and love the brotherhood. Who's he talking about here? He's talking about the brothers, the brothers and sisters. He's talking about the church. Honor everyone, but love the brotherhood. Love the brotherhood prioritize the brotherhood. Why? Because if you're going to live among Gentiles, if you're going to live in a culture that's degrading, and you're going to live in that world as an alien and stranger, guess what you need? You need a family and some comrades, right? Honor everyone, love the brother, be in this together, be a family who, who eats chili together, And invites people into your homes and shares lunch together and studies the word of God together and serves the single moms in our congregation and serves the the older and cares about our little ones. Love the brotherhood, honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, and honor the king. That's it. That's Our response, who are we, why are we here? Six identifiers and two main purposes. Speak with your lips the good news and live with your life good deeds. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, and honor the King. Will you pray with me. Father God, we um we come to you this morning as Americans, as patriots. But ultimately we come to you this morning as your children bought by the blood of Jesus. And Lord, I pray that our allegiance would ultimately, finally be to you. Lord, I uh, I thank you for our nation. And I thank you that in so many ways, you have indeed shed your grace on this nation. Lord, we pray for our president and for our president-elect. Lord, that you would lead and guide him, that you would surround him with wise counselors that you would draw him close to yourself, that your Holy Spirit would work in his heart and his mind and pray that you would help us to honor him as we should, but to fear only you. And Holy Spirit, would you help us to honor everyone? Would you help us to reach across the aisle, to reach across the street, to reach across the political divide and be peacemakers? and conduits of of grace and of peace. And would you, Holy Spirit, give us boldness to speak the gospel and courage and boldness and strength to do good deeds, not so that we get glory, not so that we look good, but so that you, God, would be glorified. Father God, we thank you that we have a king. A king that is coming again. A king that is sovereign over all nations. The king of kings and the Lord of lords. And so we thank you that we are not hopeless. And we are not ultimately hopeful about our nation. But we are hopeful in our God who is sovereign over all nations. Jesus, be with us. It's in your beautiful name we pray.